0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 289 Preview Show. My name is Carl Bainridge, and I'm joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Philip to my Terrence, quite appropriately, because he's wearing blue. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Glad to be the max caster to your Anthony Bowens. I'd imagine, I'm, I don't want to assume, but I, if I had to remember correctly, you have mentioned in the past that rap ends with Grandmaster Flash master so, flash
0: wonder mike um people like that Melly mel just like if it's like hmm. early 80s if you go past the early 80s when it comes to rap music straight over my head
1: i do enjoy a good curtis flow every once in a while but uh <laughs> I, I do like curtis flow the breaks is is still very good but i'm a big rap fan so i guess i could do you max caster so if there's any beach boys fans who also like
0: mma i'm the person to go to
1: excellent now yeah. to find someone who's with a beach boys tag team gimmick that's, I'm that's surprised nobody's
0: done that in
1: wrestling. I'm surprised Vince hasn't like discovered them for the first time and like pushed <laughs> it on someone. That's probably what FTR was going to get.
0: You're going to be my
1: <laughs> goddammit! Yeah, get out there and talk about the beach. Go!
0: Thank you very much, though, for joining us here. We could be talking about music from like 50, 60 years ago, but we are here to talk about MMA, and it's a bit of an historic episode here of INC Live because for the first time... We are covering a fight night. Now, normally we don't do that here on this show, but we thought there's a title fight on this card. We're in Vancouver for the first time in four years. We might as well give it the sort of bells and whistles you come to expect from this show.
1: I, Carl, I think this is a pay-per-view. Wow. Isn't this 289? Oh, they're charging money for this card. They're charging money for this card. They're charging money for this card. I mean, like, the last two fights look really good, but, like... This whole card, like, this feels like a fight night card. Has Canada done... Are they still mad at GSP? Like, what's going on here? (laughs) Like, I mean...
0: You can tell why I feel drama, because my acting is atrocious in that segment.
1: (laughs) I never went to drama, so, I mean...
0: But no, we are here to talk about UFC 289, and as you can sort of tell from our tone of the... uh, from our opening here, this is going to be a very hard sell for a lot of people, but we do have some (sighs) fights which. Can be intriguing to uh, some people. Obviously, the last two, which you mentioned, do carry a lot of um, bells and whistles that come with that. But on the whole jaw, there have been a lot of complaints in recent weeks regarding the poor quality of UFC fight cards. And I think that 289 is another example of that.
1: I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you and me have uh, get to, should complain more than anybody else because I have to recap them and you have to edit me recapping them. So... I mean these last cards have not been great uh I usually find myself saying stuff like that was better than expected like on the recap shows right I always say that I feel like like a lot um but in fairness I'm usually expecting nothing and I'm just kind of like oh there was this I I was entertained I suppose you know um this isn't 2020 anymore where I was just happy to have like something in my life that wasn't me locked in a room and uh like 2020 was a really fun year for fights for me um it felt like a little event on saturday getting to sit down with my best friend who's my roommate and just watching fights like watching from the prelims to now because there was like you know once you exhaust everything on all the streaming sites i guess we're watching every fight and uh like following guys like kevin holland and all that was really fun but it's 2023, it's three years later, and um, the Contender Series hires 50 people a year that are making 7 and 7, and they're being used to fill all these Apex cards, and this doesn't feel any different. Like,
0: I wonder why the argument about fight card quality has become so prevalent in this year, because even if you go back to, say, 2013-2014, there were complaints about the quality of fight cards even back then but it seems a lot more vocal than now i don't know if that's because the apex makes it more sort of prevalent that we're watching a sort of watered down product i don't know if it's like the contender series and the big issue i have is like i actually liked the contender series when it first started when it was that idea of best performance gets the contract the problem is you've got so many people coming off that show just feel very generic we're seeing the same type of people who look the same sound the same fight similar styles there's no sort of uniqueness to the show
1: I, i think like a big thing for me is there is a like if you're an mma fan there's something to watch basically every day of the week for the most part um you know most people i'll even say like i'll even toss my name in this hat of like you know the hardcore fans and stuff like us I, I just kind of keep up with it I, I i there's a lot to consume it's kind of hard to consume all that and uh so whenever they're adding like 50 contender fighters and not promoting any of them they're just, like you know once they break through it's not like back in the <coughs> excuse me it's not like back in the day where if you won tough you know like hey here's ross pearson we're gonna put him like you know front and center on like they didn't promote fighters back then either don't get me wrong but they're gonna put him front and center you know on like fight night cards so people who are watching the fight night cards always see him we're always gonna talk about him winning tough nine and you kind of remember this guy like you know it helps add it but when there's like a thousand contender series fighters and they just kind of go, yeah, he won on the Contender Series. That's why he's here. It doesn't feel any special. Yeah. It doesn't feel anything. It, it kind of takes away from the the grandeur of making it to the UFC. Making it to the UFC as a fighter should be like the pinnacle of the sport. I mean, anyone who fights here, it's it's the best promotion in terms of quality of fighters. Um, I don't care what one FC says. UFC is the best. Um, and like it should be like celebrated that they you know make it that far but it just doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel anything it feels like a very homogenous product and just kind of churning out going through the motions especially when you know like the most interesting thing that happened in the UFC in weeks involved them like just being upset at a a fighter of theirs leaving going making crazy money in PFL like, that's the most biggest news
0: the and UFC's I think, had. And I think we also get this sort of watered down argument when it comes to, in particular, sort like the finite headliners. Because mm-hmm. I'm looking through some of the people here who are going to be headlining cards over the next two or three months. You've got Amir Albazi, who, like, He's I think good. Albazi has a lot of talent, but in terms of profile, virtually non existent. No offense to yeah. the guy. Myra Bueno Silva who has been almost a bit of a meme fighter and who sort of gets into the top 10 because that division is so weak and she's going to be headlining a card against Holly Holm and then you've also got Abus Magomedov whose UFC debut was 19 seconds like he lost in the PFL beats a guy who's wanted three in the promotion and he's fighting Sean Strickland it's it feels like the UFC sort of chucking anything at the wall and hoping something sticks
1: it feels like to me like of all three of those guys that, or three of those people you you mentioned they're just kind of relying on the name value yeah. of the of their opponent like it's not about like yeah, I feel like if they were to promote I feel like they'd be like Kaiko or is fighting this week who's he fighting did I mention Kai or is fighting <laughs> this week you know like it would be like that um, which is just Rough. I I think a lot of it comes down to their like we always bring this up, like this has been the big thing. they're the UFC's lack of promotion. Yes. But I think on one hand they're just churning out so many of these cards. And like I love all the fights I can get my hands on, but none of these feel special anymore. I don't know if it's just too much. I, I don't I hope not. I hope it's not just a matter of too much. But none of these are feeling special anymore, especially with this card. This card, you know, you're going to see us make like kind of smile and struggle a little bit with this card, most likely. (laughs) Um,
0: And I think with this card especially as well, in my opinion, and again, this is just my own personal take, Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a card that the UFC should be making a big deal about because Canada has had a fantastic fan base in the sport for a long time. Obviously, like, GSP was arguably one of the greatest fighters of all time. And the UFC used to make a big deal about the Canadian cards. He had John Jones fighting there a couple of times. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because GSP retired, maybe it's because we don't have that sort of big Canadian star to take over the mantle that sort of people expected Rory McDonald to be. The UFC just sort of half hearting it. Or maybe it's just a case of they know that Canada hasn't had a fight card for such a long time they can take any sort of talent level and people will still pay tickets because it's been so
1: long. It's, it's kind of disrespectful to a crowd like that. I feel like Canada always has like, if if not the best crowd, you know, in the world, like the Aussies are great. London has been fantastic. These last couple of times we've been, and Canada is always probably like number one for me, Um, maybe behind Mexico. But uh, no, Mexico's a rough crowd. I don't, I don't want to go back there. As a Mexican myself, as a Mexican American myself, I don't want to go back. I don't to think Mexico. Michael
0: Bisping does either. He got like pelted with um, cork
1: cans the last time he went down there. Dude, it's it was insane. I don't under like, I don't know. That was that was rough, and I I don't. <laughs> yeah, your Rodriguez didn't make it any better. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad there was no subtitles um, for what he was saying because he would be canceled like if uh, if people just googled what he said, don't do it, guys, <laughs> hold on, not trying to encourage that, but um, and uh, but like Canada's always an amazing crowd. like they're just consistently one of the best, and I, I it feels like they're drip feeding them here. They're like, oh, you know, you'll take anything because we haven't been there in so long. Um, I mean, of course, I'm always down for some good old-fashioned Dana White hating. So, uh, I like I think you brought up. There's a commission up there that gives him trouble, and I think GSP like is still like GSP is the man on that guy's dartboard. Like he is just sitting there throwing at that dartboard all day at a picture of George. So it's it feels weird. Like I don't understand why we're treating him this way.
0: Someone made a comparison with this card, which once they said it. I haven't been able to shake it off my head. Uh, do you remember in pro wrestling during the Attitude Era, the yeah. WWE would do these UK-only pay-per-views, <laughs> and it was clear that like, every, everything was like, phoned in, people were half hearting everything, there were matches which you knew what the result was going to be, you'd have like Kane versus Midian, that sort of thing. That is what this card feels like. It feels like just something to put on for the local fans, get it out the way, and focus all their attention on the serious stuff.
1: Absolutely. And what I what I hate most about talking this way is uh, I'm very much a respect the fighters. I, I, I want to stress, we don't mean this in any disrespect yes, to the fighters yes. on the card. Like, we, we're not, like, it's not their fault. They should take the best fights that they can get for the money, the best money and all that. But it's, like, it's not up to the fighters to make a good card. And it's not even up to the fighters, I think, to make a good fight. I'm kind of controversial statement there but um it's not their fault that this card isn't great
0: yes and I do want to stress that it as is. well uh and there must be somebody who's agreeing with you based on your phone calls there I, I, li-
1: I literally just like I, I hope uh I, I called him a, a nasty word and muted it so I don't know who it is
0: I thought it was Dana White he must have heard you and like
1: texting yeah. and saying you all that sort of stuff he called he, he probably called me a goof
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so let's likely. try and talk about some of these prelims here. You can see those on our screen right now now, when I was prepping the notes at the start of the week, there were two fights on this card, which I was keen on, which was of course Hakeem Dawadu, very entertaining fighter, local boy as well, and Chris Dawkins making his debut as a light heavyweight, quite appropriately, given the sort of state of this card. both of these guys have fallen out um uh, Matt Schnell as well, he was another guy I was excited to see he's also pulled out of this card. So you're left with a real sort of smorgasbord of talent here. Is there anybody on this card that does take your
1: attention? Um, I I have a couple here. I always grab like a ton just in case. Um, I I, I'm actually I want to see the Imavov Chris Curtis fight, and I don't I don't understand why that isn't the opener for the main card. I mean these guys are ranked on Tapology top 15 on topology I, I mean sure um miranda maverick versus uh jed uh jesuda vicious or J- jesuda that should be a pretty fun card or pretty fun fight because i think miranda maverick has a ton of upside it's like oh lost to aaron blanchfield got dominated hasn't at this point um but uh upside yeah hobby's brother iman who, I mean, I feel like he's mostly known for getting just clobbered by Ricardo Ramos or Ramos with the spinning back elbow. Um, and if you're looking for people that... Um, Kyle Nelson always seems like a nice guy in, like, interviews I've seen of him. So I hope he wins. Um, and uh, I, I always butcher her last name, but uh, people people like to fan around uh, on Twitter, uh, Diana Belbita, so
0: marketable I mean, fighter I put it that way
1: yes she's uh she's very marketable she seems to have a good sense of humor on twitter but i haven't seen people talk about her in a while so maybe she said something
0: yeah i'm glad know, you well. brought up miranda <laughs> maverick as well because i'm somebody in a similar boat to you i think she has a ton of upside and i think that i personally thought she beat macy barber i think that's one of the most egregious yeah, decisions for a long time but she won that one comfortably and yet, she's been stuck in this sort of, like, fringe top 15 sort of role here. And I, I think she's one of the biggest favorites on the card. Most people expect her to beat Jasmine. Uh, I'm personally leaning that way as well. She should be getting, like, mm-hmm. the Casey O'Neills of the world. or sort of, like, people around sort of top 8, top 9, or Vivi, someone of that sort of ilk. Maybe Lauren Murphy.
1: Yeah. I think Lauren Murphy makes sense, too. But, like, like, she, everyone goes, oh, she lost the two fights in a row. Like... She beat Macy Barber, let's be honest. Like, it was a really bad call. Um, and Aaron Blanchfield beats everybody.
0: Blanchfield is you know,
1: just so good. So good. Like, yeah, I think she's champ next year. Maybe not this year, but next year, like later next year, I could definitely see it. Um But like after that, she came back with two wins. You know, right back on track. Yeah. She's looking uh- great. I'm hearing rumours that
0: Blanchfield and Firo could be happening on the Paris card.
1: Oh, oh that's, That sounds fantastic. That sounds like a really good fight. Potentially, and I would probably I, I pick Blanchfield.
0: I don't know what's happening with uh, Cyril Garn, but um, that, that could main event. If they can't get Garn, yeah. then that's, that's a good enough to main event, in my opinion.
1: They're probably going to do Gone Jones uh, a second time, just so Dana can be like, see, he did it again. They're going to give John Jones they really so want to...
0: many easy matchups.
1: Either they want to. I, I love them. I, I love hearing the Stipe fight might have fallen through, and it's Pavlovich. Like, what if? Please.
0: So let's move on to fight number one on this card. So there is one middleweight fight between ranked opponents which isn't on the main card, but this one is. It's marc Andrea Barrio taking on Eric Anders. Uh, Barrio comes in as a minus 135 favourite. You can get Anders a plus 115. Uh, now, the last time we had a pay per view in Canada was UFC 240, and Marc-André Barrio was on that main card. It had an absolute stinker against Christoph Jotko, but second opportunity to make a hometown impression. Will he take it, though? He's taken on another guy in Eric Anders. Very similar type of fighters, I feel, here. I always find that I don't know mm-hmm. if it's Sean Shelby or McMaynard who deals with the middleweights. But whoever it is, they seem to have a real affinity for these kind of not so much technically gifted middleweight, but physically strong, natural athletes. You could put Barrio in there, Eric Anders, um, Ian Heinisch. He had a big sort of like hype train going at one point. They were pushing him really hard. Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart. I love Darren Stewart.
1: Me too. He seems like a really good guy. He just, uh, but like, he had that kind of vibe to me.
0: Yeah, but there are always these guys that always find themselves on main card, bit of like company favourites. So when you look at it from that perspective, bearing in mind as well, Barrio is also Canadian. You can sort of understand why the UFC are going down this path.
1: Yeah, they, like, they, they do like this type of uh, strong, athletic, well-rounded-esque fighters at middleweight. They, they definitely seem to favour them. Look at the base. That, that strikes them. Wow! <laughs> like I, I will never get over how much fun it is to just go wow. <laughs> so but, we'll talk yeah, about um, yeah. this fight. It, I, I hope you know, like uh, we brought up the the two forty fight with Mark Andrew, Mark Andre Barrios, and. Uh, I remember that fight, sadly, and I almost rewatched it until I remembered as like I was hitting click. I went, no, I remember this one. I'm going to research another one. Uh, so I hope that this fight definitely is better than that one.
0: I will say there has been a bit of an upturn in Barrio's performances here uh, because mm. he did have this reputation. He was that sort of clinchy, dirty brawler type who would grind people out to decisions. We have been seeing him getting a lot more finishes recently, um so obviously that came in his last two wins because he's on a two fight winning streak submitted jordan Wright in the first round and then he got that win over julian marquez which um i went back and rewatched that fight that was one of the sort of matches i did a case study on and julian marquez had a lot of success in that fight but one of the big traits of barrio has always had is his conditioning and his ability to wear people out with pressure and that for me is a great case
1: study for that
0: because he just wilted marquez
1: marquez is good too he's pretty good um like he gets a bad rap because he's kind of a meme fighter you know because of a a certain post fight press or interview (sighs) he did but i mean he should have just he should have just shut up i mean he dropped that bag but um like he's good though you know um and barry kind of kind of broke him a little bit which is you know reminds me of uh Oh, Antonio Margarito in boxing a little bit when I was re-watching that one. Like, just kind of constantly moving at him and just pressuring him, landing when he can, and then just puts him out. Um, But probably without the plaster in his gloves, though, of course, if you're a boxing fan.
0: One of the big traits that stands out for me when it comes to Barrio, though, like, obviously, he's got his pressure game, which we'll obviously talk about. I hope that was the chair and not you farting.
1: It was chair. It was the chair, and I went. Jeez, ah, I said that's gonna sound bad. I, I made a mental note to mute the mic if I shift in this chair. I need a new one so bad. <laughs>
0: um, one of the traits I do love when it comes to fighter saw. Everyone has these sort of quirks and these sort of sort of like oddities when it comes to the sport that they always like. And I do love a good clinchy dirty boxer, and Barryon is very good in the clinch. I love his work there. Yeah.
1: He definitely like he isn't. Like, the difference, I think, between these two guys is Barrio feels more like a little more technique on him, you know? Whereas Anders feels like just pure athleticism. Yes. Barrio feels like, you know, like, yeah, he's athletic, strong guy. But he also kind of knows what he's doing in there as well. And, uh, I mean, he's not quite a couture level of a clinch guy, but who is? You know, come on. Um, But he's very good in there. Like, gets in the clinch. He's very active. Um, he'll beat you up in the clinch. I think, isn't that? Hold on. How did he put out Marquez? Didn't he get him with the like, clinch shots first? He, he did most of the damage yeah. in the
0: clinch shots. And then once Marquez yeah. was hurt, they just swung a bong on him.
1: Clobbered him. Clobbered him, yeah. Okay, I didn't know I was remembering that right. Yeah, I mean, like, cl- that, that adds up. And that builds up lactic acid in your opponent. And now they can't lift their arms in there. It's a little easier to hit them in the head with the. I have trouble lifting the arms up, so... Um, Definitely, like, a good... He's very... He's just so strong that he almost, like, if he can't out-technique you, he's probably out-muscling you in the clinch. And he hits, I mean, and he hits really hard, as we've said. There have been some
0: concerns over Barrio's durability. I think the Chidi loss especially, because that came after, what, 12-13 seconds. We have a guy as well who's sort of 34 years old, so is that something to maybe be concerned about? Because even if Aragandas isn't the most technical fighter in the world. He can crack.
1: Yeah, he he had like a really rough start to his career, and I mean, cheaty hits like a freight train. Um, both those brothers do. You know, they both hit very very hard. But cheaty hits very hard because he's the middleweight. Um, that said, I feel like I feel like Eric Anders can put him out. I'm not saying there's a durability issue, but it's. It's not an issue yet. It's just a, a noticeable thing we've seen. Like, he can get put down. Um, and I th- if I remember correctly, I'm about to look this up really quick. But if I remember right, in his, like, first, like, really rough show in the UFC, he got finished. No, he didn't get finished in any of them. Wow. Um, yeah, and Fluffy Hernandez didn't knock him out. He t- arm triangled him. But that guy's really good. That guy seems like he's on the up and up. Um, yeah, I, I think Anders could put him out with that big shot, but I, I, I think I'm more likely to see Barrio, you know, kind of wear out the arms first with the clinching and stuff. Yeah.
0: So we'll talk about Eric Anders in a bit more detail here. Now, this was a guy who, as we sort of mentioned before, came into the UFC with a ton of fanfare. He was a former college football standout at the University of Alabama um his last fight he beat Karl kyle Dorcus, which was on the december 2022 card i think that was thompson versus holland some of the notable wins yeah. in his career include uh gm3 my boy uh halfay on the brendan allen who he beat in his last fight before joining the ufc which is a win which is aged very well and he was getting a lot of showcase moments from the ufc he had a main event against machida which a lot of people actually believe he won Uh, He stepped up to 205 to face Thiago Santos, which was a really sort of, that was a bizarre card to watch because it was like, I think it was supposed to be, I'm tempted to say, I think it was supposed to be like Little Nog versus Jimmy Manoa. And it changed like three or four times and we ended up with this sort of Frankenstein, Santos versus uh, Anders main event.
1: Wasn't that both their 205 debut? Because I remember watching that fight going, oh, this is a light heavy, or a middleweight fight. Yeah, it was. And then they go, this is 205. And it was like, wait, why are they at two hundred five? Like, I remember, I remember thinking that, and it just making me laugh. Like, I thought this was a middleweight fight this whole time. I thought, oh, I was no wonder they seemed so much bigger. Um, and I love the
0: fact that Thiago but, said as well that you know what, I can't be bothered cutting. I'm going to stay here, and he ends up fighting for the title a year later.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's that dude. It's he has a crazy career. If he would have pulled off the the Jones win, what a story that is! Like. You're just like oh, I don't want to co wait anymore, and then just starts knocking out Jan, knocked out Jan Blahovic, like crazy run to the title for him.
0: Um. So let's but, talk. Let's go into a bit more detail about Anders here. So, what are the big traits which really stand out for you when it comes to Eric Anders?
1: Um, for Eric Anders, I always think of like, I, I have a comparison here. He. He's like a less ground-savvy OSP is what he reminds me of. Like, they have the same background. One's a Tennessee – was a Tennessee football player. This one, he's from Alabama, a football player. But both have, like, kind of just brought that football athleticism into the sport. And uh, with Eric Anders, I always think just, like, southpaw out athlete is what I always think of. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. He can take you down. He has to he has some good ground and pound obviously like in his last fight very good ground and pound. pound um, he has a pretty good left hand like, like he kind of will wing it but sometimes it's pretty straight and against Machida he was able just to kind of pressure him a little bit out whenever he needed to which is saying something I mean Machida was older at the time but Machida is kind of designed around beating the pressure fighter like that um, and like He can kind of just do a little bit of everything. He's not amazing in one area, but he he he's comfortable everywhere. Um, And he's been around for a very long time. Like I it feels like to me because I'm you know, as we get older, it feels like just yesterday I saw him go, oh, he's fighting Machida. That's crazy. It turns out that was years ago. (laughs) That was weird. Um, whenever I had that realization of like, oh yeah, Majita's hasn't been in the UFC for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's been around for a while. He's been fighting for a while in the UFC. He's fought at 205. He's fought at middleweight. He's, you know, um, sadly, I always think of the Khalil Roundtree Mm. fight with him, which who was supposed to be on this card as well, but no. Um,
0: it's a good it's a good thing you brought That's up the, the Khalil Roundtree fight as well, because one of the big things that stands out for me when it comes to Eric Anders and his fighting style, he has a lot of issues dealing with low kicks. Is that something that Barrio can
1: potentially exploit? <clears throat> I kind of hope so, because I actually really like the Khalil Roundtree fight. I lo- I'm, a lo- I'm a low kick connoisseur. I mean, when you look at, you know, my, my second favorite fighter ever it makes sense, which Jose Aldo. Um, but that said, uh, I I don't see Barrio like attacking the legs too often. I mean, when you look at Eric Anders' stance, and especially uh, to like the meta, I guess you could say, of MMA striking, uh, like uh, calf kicks are huge, and he already struggled with kicks, low kicks. Calf kicks have to just chew up that stance like even harder. It's gonna knock him off balance often. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mario started working on the low kicks for this fight. Maybe using low kicks, like an inside low kick, to step into a clinch makes a lot of sense for me. Um, but I don't necessarily see him making that his primary weapon. I feel like that's kind of counterintuitive to his biggest strength. Um, unless you get inside and insert knee and is like, Ugh, those always make me kind of groan with a smile. Uh, but yeah, Eric Anders does struggle with low kicks. I was trying to think of positive things to say before I just start rag. I'm not trying to rag on Eric Anders, but I always think of the Khalil Roundtree fight. That's the first fight I think of with him. That and the Machida fight. He
0: does have a very good ground and pound game though. That is one trait of Eric oh. Anders which I do like.
1: He he's a finisher on the ground. He like kind of not almost Mark Munoz esque if anyone remembers him. Just gets on top and just starts just bringing that hammer down, you know, which is kind of awesome, honestly. I ground and pound KOs are few and far between. It's a lot of TKOs, but when so when you see someone knock someone out with ground and pound, it always makes me go, "Ooh, jeez!" Like it, it's it's that it's that family friendly violence I I crave in the sport.
0: <laughs> like someone posted it on the feed recently of Kurt uh, and overing. Like that's one of the most brutal ground and pound finishes ever.
1: Oh, it's, it's haunting, and I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, S- Scott Jorgensen had one against Ken Stone. I think it was both of their UFC debuts back in that WEC merger. And uh, that one is gnarly also. I recommend that one. Uh, and probably my favorite one ever, because of who it was getting KO'd, is uh, Alan, B- Alan Belcher versus Hussamar Paul Harris. Yeah, that one's so satisfying.
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert, I have, I have actually got a Paul Harris video planned at some point this year.
1: Oh, we're going to say we planned that.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's almost like we rehearsed a show.
1: Yeah. there's a We're, we're like Triple H and The Rock. We work through every single conversation and movement, you know, meticulously.
0: So, bookmakers have this one very close when it comes to the betting odds. Do you see it being a close fight? Who are you favoring?
1: I'm favoring Barrow. I think he can finish Eric Anders, but Eric Anders is also pretty tough to finish, in hindsight, saying that. But I am picking Barrow to win.
0: I think we're going to get quite a dirty, uh, sort of grimy fight here. Um, I mm-hmm. think that Anders can have more success if it's in the open, but I think Barrio's yeah. going to have that kind of quintessential barrio performance make it dirty get in in the clinch i can see him i think it's going to go to a decision but i can see the further yeah. the fight goes on barrio is going to have more and more success it's going to be one of those situations where he might just have anders on the ropes by the end of the third round
1: one thing one thing to think about too is a lot of eric anders offense with his punches are a little wider sometimes mm-hmm. like or like very overextending And slipping those or kind of parrying those into a clinch is so much easier just based on how Eric Anders throws. So that, you know, he could be kind of having that quicksand-esque feeling of like, uh, I can't even try and hit this guy without. I'm kind of just getting sucked in more and more into the clinch. I could kind of feel like that as well. That's something I just thought of
0: fight number two and we are going down to the featherweight division here and a rarity on this card we've got a ranked fighter dan eager is looking to try and defend his place in the top 15 to do so he needs to take on the um the runaway train quite appropriately given his nickname of nate landware so bookmakers odds for this one dan eager minus 245 you can get plus 205 if you're on Landwehr. now nate Landwehr made his debut in 2020 he sort of really came to prominence when he had that win over Darren Elkins, which was brutal, bearing in mind the amount of punishment that Elkins takes during his career. He is... He's what I always like to call a good TV fighter. If you put him onto the main yeah. card of, say, like a Fight Night Jacksonville or somewhere of that sort of ilk, put him against an opponent, he's going to create great entertainment. He's sort of a bit like... A bit like Spike, Car- Spike Carlisle, Someone of that sort of ilk. Yeah. So he does have the winning streak to justify maybe a jump up in competition, is Dan Ige a bit too high?
1: It's funny to me in uh, in saying that he might be, but it's also easy to forget that, and this is nothing against Dan Ga, who's very good, I think, but Dan Ige is, was coming off one win against a huge KO over Damon Jackson, but he was on a three-fight losing streak before that to very good competition, Mm. mind you. But I don't, like, it kind of makes you wonder, like, is he too high? Like, it kind of makes you second-guess that ideology and that idea there. Um, I don't know. I I think Nate Landwehr is pretty good, though. Like, he is on a streak, and almost all those fights have been, like, must-see TV. His David Onama fight, especially, was, like, had us all jumping in the living room. It was awesome. Because um, that
0: was a fight, I believe, where he was had like full mount on an armor and just got up from full mount because he wanted to stand and bang.
1: Yeah, he was having fun and he started smiling and laughing with the crowd. And um, that is not going to get you far in the sport, but my Lord, am I going to love you for it? Like, you know, uh, one of my... I, 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 uh, I'm a, I, li- I like Mighty Mouse a lot, but Ian McCall, full mount, on or back mount on Mighty Mouse, laughing and having fun while pounding on him, he could have finished him, but he chose to taunt. That cost him the fight, you know, potentially.
0: Uh, he could have been flyweight champion. If he finished Mighty Mouse, he would have got that much with Benavidez, probably would have won it. Yeah.
1: yeah, at the time he was very good. He was very, very good at the time. He fell off pretty hard, but obviously there was a lot of personal issues um, going on in the background. But... Uh, crazy like that how would like just you know and it's because the judges can't do math is actually what really yeah the judge like that's a true story if you I, i'm sure you remember the judges were counting up the scorecards and they had a special commission rule if it's a draw it goes to the fourth round they make a fourth round for it and um, the judges were like looked at it and goes all right 10 10 8 like and then looked at the other guy 9, nine, ten. Mighty Mouse wins, right? And they just didn't do the math. They just looked at the rounds, and they didn't do the math, and they accidentally announced Mighty Mouse won the fight as he's, like, half-conscious, beat up after that third round. And, you know, Ian McCall's like, oh, that was a bad decision. And then we're in the, when they're in the locker room, they realize, hey, the judges, you know, they, they need to use the calculator app on their phone for basic math. Like, we might have made a mistake here. They had to reschedule the fight where Mighty Mouse was ready for all that and it cost him. Crazy little story. But back to Nate Landwehr.
0: <laughs> I was wondering where this was going.
1: <laughs> it wasn't going anywhere, I'm going to be honest. I'm, it was I'm just a lot of fun, to talk really
0: interesting stuff, though.
1: <laughs> I'm just looking to conversate with you, Carl. This isn't <laughs> for the fans. This is just our friendship growing. Now, um, no, Nate Landwehr... <laughs> I wouldn't be laughing at I I legitimately lost where I was at until I saw the Nate Landwehr thing and I went oh this is we're not talking about controversial fights hold on like it's <laughs> anyways Nate Landwehr a lot of fun very fun fighter um he mostly beats you he's, he'll stand and bang with you like it's no problem but he mostly, mostly wins like through submissions you know he's got a pretty good submission game on his hands um this is a really dumb note here Uh, he looks like the actor Mark Menchaca or if that name isn't referencing anything Um, if you've anyone seen the show The Outsider on HBO fantastic show it's a very good horror show Um, he looks like uh, the character Jack Hoskins who Mark Menchaca plays so much to the point that whenever me and my best friend see him we go there's Jack Hoskins yeah there we go there there he is (laughs) he looks splitting image If anyone's watched that show, they can uh, attest to that. But I I think this could, you know, call me crazy. um, This could be my fandom of the show The Outsider. But I think this could could be like a potential fight of the night. I think this fight could be really pretty fun on this card, you know.
0: Well, I'm certainly hopeful. And I think that if somebody is capable of doing it, I think Landwehr is that type of person. Because he is a lot of forward pressure likes to make it a dirty brawl which I think Dan mm. is somebody who likes to be a little bit of a co- technician stay on the outside and if he yeah. does get coaxed into this brawl it could be problems for Dan Iger. um you mentioned mm. before about Dan Iger's losing streak and I agree that is something that raises a cause for concern but the people he was losing to Korean Zombie Josh Emmett Evloyev Those are three very good fighters. He had that sort of drop back in competition with Damon Jackson. And Mm -hmm. it puts Egan in this sort of awkward middle ground for me because he's obviously shown with his previous losses. And we can add Calvin Cater in there as well. He is a step Mm -hmm. below that sort of top five, top six range. But guys outside the rankings, such as the Damon Jacksons of the world, given the way he beat him, because it was quite a comfortable win, he's better Mm -hmm. than that. So he's a bit of, in sort of a bit of an awkward ground. He's sort of like, trying to think like Barcellos and Bantamweight. Very good fighter, yeah. fringe top 15, but just not good enough to make that next step.
1: It definitely feels like that. It's. it's Damon Jackson was, was, was actually doing pretty well. It was coming up pretty good. And then, but in all that, you know, pretty, pretty hard, um, rough, hard KO. Well, when I, I saw that, funny, I saw that this week before I was doing research and just like a little knockout compilation I saw. <clears throat> Nasty KO. Um, very cool one, honestly. But um, I, that said, Nate Landwehr puts a lot of pressure on you. He mm-hmm. can make it that grimier, dirtier fight. And I'm kind of curious what happens if they just decide to bang it out. Because Dan Ige, clearly it might have... I mean, if you look at his finishes, he does have the power advantage. It's a lot of its technique, I feel like, more so than just, you know, beef. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but Nate Landwehr likes to kind of get in there and make it a scrap brawl. Just get dirty, throw left and rights, have fun with it. Uh, I think in the striking, Ige has the clear advantage. I think on the ground, Landwehr has a clear advantage, though. Um This fight's interesting. I think this fight's pretty interesting, especially with, like, Dan Ige's trajectory. Like, I I feel like that's probably, like, where, how you view Dan Ige is how you view this fight will turn out, I think. Because I know some people who think Dan Ige kind of sucks because of that three-fight losing streak. I think that's fair, but I don't know if I agree with that, you know, that mentality.
0: Do you think that Danny Eager is a little bit undersized for 145? He is one of the smaller featherweights on the roster.
1: Yeah, but I remember hearing him say that he's kind of thick. Like, he kind of has a, like, just, he he seems really small to me. He seems like, oh, who was it that I saw? Like, he, he looks like a bantamweight to me, like, in there. Um, he looks like Rob Font. Yeah, He's, like, trying to fight. Like, he looks like Rob Font's build and size, but just kind of muscled up at 145 for some reason. Um, He fights like Rob Font, too, a little bit. But I think... I could see him... He might need to drop down to 135, because Nate Landwehr is kind of big, actually. It's a good point. Nate Landwehr seems like a bigger dude, at least bigger than Danny Ege.
0: Which is why, if I was Landwehr... I know there's this temptation to make it a brawl, put on a show for the fans. If he does go grappling heavy, especially when we saw what Evloyev did to Dan Ige on the ground, Landwehr Mm. could have a lot of success. Because I could see a situation, if he does get taken down, I could see Ige giving up the back. And if that happens, Landwehr's going to jump on that neck straight
1: away. Absolutely. Or pound away, taunt the crowd, have some fun, and then try to get that neck. Like That's just what Nate Landwehr does. His last fight he did that. It's he, exactly what he did. Yeah.
0: But also, a Just lot of people that. forget that Lingo had a lot of success in that first round. And it was Landwehr's pressure <laughs>
1: that turned the fight. Didn't Lingo nearly finish him? Yes. If I remember correctly? Called yeah. him quite a few times. God. That fight's awesome. I think Landwehr is so much fun. <laughs> like, this is like, when you call them the TV guy, like, yeah, this guy needs to be on every other Apex card. Because this guy is... Just, he just brings fun. It's just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, you, like you mentioned before, when you were talking about like the Ultimate Fighter and guys on that show, and they sort of use the Ultimate Fighter name to plug the sort of fight nights. Mm-hmm. I remember when they first started doing the fight nights, all the sort of cards on Spike. Stefan Bonner was on yeah. every single one of them because he was yeah. just—it was like the Ultimate Fighter name. He's an action fighter, and Landers in that same sort of. Both for me.
1: And Bonner was on almost every one of those cards. So it was like Kenny Florian, Josh Koscheck, and those guys became stars because of that. You know, why can't they do that now?
0: We're such old men. I remember the good old days. I
1: uh, I, 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 I remember back in my day uh, when I saw Bob Sapp try and pile drive Big Nog into the ground, and I thought he died. <laughs> That was haunting as a kid seeing that for the first time.
0: So we've got this consensus between ourselves that Landwehr could cause Ige problems if he gets him to the ground. The question mm-hmm. is, is he going to be able to? Dan is a fast guy. I could see a situation where he stays on the outside and starts sort of like piecing Landwehr up as he comes in. Because Landwehr can get caught. We've seen Julian Rosa finish him yeah. very quickly.
1: Juicy J, yeah, put him down. I'm curious about one thing is their reach <gasps> Danny Ige has a slight it's not going to matter um it's point point it's point 5 I'm it's point 5 he has on him uh Danny looks like he has a 71 inch reach whereas uh Landwehr has a 70 inch reach it's but Danny Ige does you know have the a slight reach advantage it's not enough to matter you know um <laughs> Out of a dirty joke, and I'm not going to say it. Um,
0: <laughs> let's keep this PG. We've got the
1: algorithm to please. Yeah, exactly. This is like Simpsons level. You know, we can play. I I would imagine. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, let's try not to laugh. I I could see Danny Gay using his movement because he's he's pretty fast. He could just stay on the outside, try to pick landware apart. Force land, we were to come in, avoid the brawls that way, um, and maybe even avoid some grappling exchanges. It's pretty interesting. It's an interesting fight. I think if Danny Gay's is going to win, he has to just box him up for three rounds and maybe even get a finish in there, landing something clean. I mean, Damon Jackson's a big tall featherweight, yes. and he had no problem putting him out.
0: Um, I am going to be picking Ege that- to win this one, and I'm going to say un- unanimous decision again. I think if there is a finish, though, it's going to come from Landwehr. I think he could coax Ige into that brawl and catch him coming in. Um, but that's a small percentage. That's not like a 20% chance I think that's going to happen. So I'm picking Ige to win this one.
1: I, I'm picking Landwehr uh, to get the upset. Um, once again, this could be my fandom of how much fun he's been lately and how much I love the show The Outsider. Um, he looks just much like him. I'll show you after the show. Um, he looks so much like him. It's hilarious. Yeah. But I, I think Landwehr, I, I, I think I'm going to lean towards that X factor of, you know, Danny Gay might not be able to put Landwehr away, but Landwehr can definitely put EK away. I think I like that X factor in this fight. So it just feels better to me.
0: Fight number three. Now, you mentioned before that you thought that Landwehr versus EG could be a potential fight of the night. I think it could come from this one. Now, both of these guys don't really have the biggest high-profile name, but if you look through their careers, great action fighters. It's Mike Malott taking on Adam Fujit. I have to be very careful about how I say that surname there. I have seen many people get caught up by that one. Uh, it's a welterweight bout. Uh, Malott comes in as a minus 210 favorite. Fujit is a plus 180. Now, when I was writing my notes for this card, I was of the consensus that... This is a very good fight, and if mm-hmm. it was on the prelims, it would make complete sense. Like local Canadian fighter taking on someone of a similar talent level, you know, just sort of please the local fans, and yeah. then we sort of like the appetizers towards the big stuff. It doesn't belong on the main card.
1: Not, not at all. I, I don't understand. Yeah. I, I. Whenever I saw this was on the main card, I like, and just had just a glance. I went huh no one knows who these guys are i know who they are but it's kind of my job to know who they are but it's like i why, why is this on the main card and then i remembered oh it's because dana white hates canada or something i don't know it's so odd but this might could be very good actually
0: it's sort of like like i'll use a new example from like a uk perspective like like molly McCann. Entertaining fan favorite mm. fighter, you put her on the prelims, no problem with that. But she shouldn't be Absolutely. the core main.
1: not at all. It's um, not not at all. Uh, yeah,
0: take <laughs> the understand. hint, take the hint, Dana, mix Sean. Plus, as well, yeah, I think that Stolyarenko fight's going to fall through because I do not see anywhere Stolyarenko makes 125.
1: Stolyarenko is a co main event. The <laughs> UFC. <laughs> Hilarious, I think. I, I think that is, uh, I think that's history right there. It's amazing. Then again, Priscilla Cachoeira did, did main event a show once, so. Uh,
0: I think she was co-main against Chev. That was like Chev's flyweight Oh, debut. it was co-main?
1: I thought it was a main event. Okay. I was going to say, you know
0: what? I think that was the Santos-Anders card. No, it wasn't. Not Santos-Anders, Anders Machida.
1: I think yeah. it was actually. I I just remember laughing because I was like, they made this deficient for her because she couldn't beat Nunez." Like, this is kind of funny. Two, and I still I still believe that.
0: Two three five. <laughs> two three five. She took those three rounds. Don't care what you say, Joel.
1: I... Her nose is rolls. <laughs> <laughs> I I might have added that in just to Try and
0: try what and else? pull up my strings there. Plus, it stops us from talking about 289, though, so I'll let you off on this one. But Mike Walott, I do really like this guy. I don't think he's going to be sort of like the next GSP or anything like that, but entertaining fighter, fantastic finishing record. I think it's on like nine wins, five knockouts, four submissions. I may be wrong, but that's what I believe. 2 0 so far in the UFC. First round knockout over Mickey Gall, which unfortunately for Gall was his last fight in the UFC. I think there's a lot of upside to this guy. He seems like a decent enough bloke. Um, carries a lot of power. Good all rounder. Good all rounder. And again, as I mentioned before, I think he's worthy of being showcased on a Canadian card. He's obviously going to get the fans on his side. Whether it's main card is questionable, but I do like the guy.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's actually really fun. When I saw he was on this card, I was like, oh, hey, this guy's pretty good. He he broke my heart because. Mickey gall is one of my boys um, my, uh, my friend Andy got to meet him at WrestleMania and <laughs> my friend Andy thanked him for beating Sage Northcut and uh, Mickey gall gave him a hug because of that so uh, so that's why he's my boy like that's such a cool story uh, <laughs> thank you for beating Sage Northcut up that is such a funny like story to me but um yeah I mean like no, this guy's good. Like shouldn't be on the main card, but I mean that's you know we've, we've talked about that at length. Um, and Adam, it's you said it's Fujit. I
0: believe it's Fujit.
1: That that makes me a little sad because I have like all these puns <laughs> I've been saying, like you know I because I, I have it here that I it doesn't make sense now, but I have Fujit about him giving Michael Morales trouble. I until you brought it up this week. And I three watched that fight. He did give him trouble. Um, you know, you see it see works so much better if I said I fugit about him giving Michael like Morales trouble. That doesn't make sense now. Um, or like Paulie from The Sopranos, you know. Uh, forget about it. But um, Now I think this fight could be pretty good too. I I Michael Morales has a lot of upside. He's looking pretty decent. You know, 14 and 0, a lot of all that noise. And uh, Fujit gave him made a little made him work for it. and he did He got finished, but like so is most people fighting Morales at this point. Uh, do you think that was and Mike, do you think that was Fujit being better
0: than we expected or Morales being a little bit complacent?
1: I think it's a mix of both. I think I think Morales, was, I think, as the fight went on, Morales was like, okay, I got to step this up. Like, it's really time for me to put him out of here. And then he found that it was a little bit harder because Suji's actually pretty good. Um, gutsy performance from him, too. Um, that fight's good. That fight was actually, that was one of my favorite fights when, when I was researching this one. Um, that's, for me, though, I kind of feel like in this fight, uh, this is a. a I, I bring this up later on for a fight coming up, but I, I. I think this fight's pretty decently close. Like you mentioned earlier, around the same skill level, Mike Malat has potentially more upside, but um, I what why I like Malat in this fight, is I feel like he has more avenues yes. to victory. Like, where, you know, you know, it's it's one thing if you have like I have a way I can win. Right? That's fantastic. And that's kind of why I picked Nate Landwehr in the, lat- in the previous fight, was I felt like he had a little bit more avenues to win. And I I, I kind of like the idea of those options and how you can win, and I think Malat has that. Um, but I think this fight could be close, and I think it could be a scrap. You know? Like, this fight, that obviously we've been joking that this card has doesn't have the name value, but this fight, there's those, those three fights in the middle... Of this card could all be fight of the night um this fight could do it too i, I think this fight's pretty good and i i kind of hope mike malott wins because i kind of want uh another canadian star to rise and why not him you know like
0: i'm trying to think of like the last big sort of like canadian prospect that we had because obviously i'm thinking like post gsp like it was rory for a little bit um but of course Rory. He had his issues with the ufc he took the money went to bellator and then after that there has been a little bit of a bit of a lull so i'm, I'm sort of struggling to like see who hakeem? was hakeem possibly and then danny henry did what he did and his yeah. debut took away a lot of that um buzz.
1: felicia spencer for a little bit actually yeah
0: i i think yeah. i'm right in saying that i think there's only been like four i'm tempted to say I'm trying to think it out like gsp rory loazzo and Felicia, I think those are... Uh, Carlos Newton as well. I think those are the only five
1: Canadians to oh, fight yeah, for the yeah. belt. Carlos... I always forget Carlos Newton. Yeah, he's Canadian. He's got one of my favorite... He's got one of my favorite fights ever. Him and Sakuraba. Oh, but, hell of a fight. I love that fight. Yeah, I, I keep distracting us from this. <laughs> I apologize, but... You uh, mentioned before uh, no.
0: about Malotte having more avenues to victory. That's the main reason why I'm favoring him as well, because... Um, I think that what I've seen from Fujit in terms of striking is very good. It, I should also note as well, they have a, one opponent in common, common, a guy called Solomon Renfro. And both of mm. them finished him in the first round. I'd argue Fujit had the more impressive win than Malot did. Because Renfro was giving Malot a lot of problems and then got caught, dropped, and then uh, Malot took the Bark. Fuji was spamming head kicks over and over and over, and eventually just that pressure just wore him out and caught him. Uh, but I think if it goes to the ground, I think there is a big there is a discrepancy. We've seen lot have success there. Uh, we saw him finish um, Linus, which was an all-Canada mm. fight. Um, so he managed to get that win on the ground. I think it was arm triangle. So yeah. I think Fuji's going to have a lot of success in the stand-up. I can't see him a lot taking over if he makes a grappling heavy.
1: I, I I can agree with that 100. I like I it's just there's just so many more ways for him to win the fight.
0: Yeah. And also, he's while well, he's alpha male, so he's gonna have a good guillotine.
1: Absolutely, it's required. It's it's required. You have there's two rules to get into Team Alpha Male. Um, one, you have to think TJ Dillashaw's a punk. <laughs> And two, you have to have a good guillotine. They used to have a third rule where no, no normal size human beings in there, but that's that rule's been repealed. I'm not a normal size human being. Technically, I'm I'm quite short.
0: Overhand right as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: you got to have an overhand right. That was it. But number, number the number one rule is most important. TJ TJ's a punk, so and. Um. Uh, <laughs>
0: I have one final note before we move on to our core main note, because I think that's the one that we really want to break down in detail. Um, I was looking over Mike Millot being signed on the Contender series, and this is a quote from Dana White, because UHD gives like a little monologue explaining why he signs someone. Mm-hmm. He's big, he's strong, he's tough, he's durable, he's Canadian, you're in the UFC.
1: I don't know why you have to add in his nationality in there, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's like, that is so funny to me, like, I, I love the acknowledgement of, we lost George, we need a new one, get in, get in yeah. here, like,
0: well, I do think sometimes so when it comes weird. to matchmaking, there is an element of sort of, dare I say, box ticking.
1: Yes, you have to. Because obviously,
0: like, like obviously, there's no coincidence for me that when GaN started becoming a success, they started planning for Paris. They were trying to recruit a truckload of French fighters. Same thing when they did Dublin and Conor was getting big. lot of Irish fighters came to the UFC. Mm-hmm.
1: They have to because you you need like you can't just have like because like realistically speaking, you'll go to like one location, two maybe three times a year in terms of other countries um fighters with like injuries there's a lot of variables you can't just like bank on connor being every irish card headliner you need a kind of backup plan and i so i i definitely understand it and there is a lot of box ticking for sure like you know it's no surprise that you know when you went to brazil earlier this year every fight had a brazilian in it basically and almost every fight here has a canadian in it basically
0: uh, you say that as we talk about the um about the Dutchman, well the Iranian say, the Dutch stroke Iranian taking on the Brazilian. Core main event time, mm-hmm. Charles Oliveira takes on Benil Dariush. Uh betting odds for this one caught me a little bit by surprise. Benil Dariush is the minus 135 favorite. You can get Charles Oliveira at plus 110. Now, in the eyes of a lot of people, this is the real main event of this card. Two elite level lightweights potentially a title eliminator a lot of that depends on what happens between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje as well um the question that a lot of people might have though is should this be a title eliminator in the first place should have gone to Benil Daryush
1: already yeah absolutely um the the idea of this is potentially a title eliminator uh it it shouldn't be a potential if Benny wins. If Benny wins, what are we doing? Like this guy's like are we just never giving him a title shot? Like he deserves it. He's the number one contender. He has been. Um, I loved Volkanovski uh and uh Makachev earlier this year. That fight is fantastic. And I thought Volkanovski won, but that said, that fight shouldn't have happened. It should have been Benny and, and Makachev in there. Yeah. Like it's 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 kinda gross. Like this is such a big dropping of the ball in matchmaking, and I don't understand why. But here we are.
0: Why do you but think this fight's the, great, so I can't complain. Why do you think the UFC have been so hesitant to give Benny his title fight? Because like I have a lot of respect for Bilal Muhammad. And if you are a Bilal fan, I don't want any sort yeah. of criticism of this, because it's not my intention. But you can Mm. sort of understand why the UFC are hesitant about giving Bilal his title fight. Because he has a very workmanlike style where he can play it safe and go for decisions. But yeah, Benny's grappling heavy, don't get me wrong. But some of these fights are so much fun. Like the Gamrot fight, some of those scrambles in that fight were fantastic.
1: That fight's awesome. And another thing too, and nothing. once again, I'm going to stress like you, nothing against Bilal Muhammad. But Benny puts people out cold yes. too, like like stiffens them. Uh, like how? Like this guy is all action, all entertaining. Uh, and I, I will even bring up this point. Benny is one of the reasons I didn't go insane while watching the Chad mendez uh, Jose Aldo two card for the Richer Review series. Uh, <laughs> Benny was a lot. Benny and, and Carlos Diego Fajedo was a decent little fight. Um, They had to gas down, but um, that fight was good, you know? And Benny's awesome. Like, I don't understand the hesitancy here. The only thing I can think of is uh, remember whenever I forgot who he beat, but he beat someone and was like, hey, where's my Tesla? And I know know he got that Tesla.
0: Tony Ferguson, 262 poor man.
1: Yeah, I wonder if Dana White's been waiting on a Tesla and <laughs> Benny, Benny got his first. Yeah. That's the only thing. That's, you, you, you understand, like, I'm, you know, everyone understands I'm joking and kind of clowning here. That's because I have no legitimate idea why he hasn't gotten a title shot. Is it the injuries randomly? I don't know.
0: Yeah, because you'd also think as well, like part of the selling point of the UFC is you, you want to try and not, yeah, you want your bigger names in title fights, but you also want mm-hmm. the title matches in question to have an element of competitiveness. And yeah. as much as I like Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje, and I think they're going to have a belter of a fight in um, July, but do you see either of those beating Markachev with their fighting no. styles? I don't. Uh... I could see Benny giving Markachev a lot of problems.
1: I could see Poirier maybe doing it, but I don't see Justin. As much as I love Justin Gaethje, I don't see Justin Gaethje doing it. But I see Benny giving Markachev nightmares in training camp. Like, that's such an awesome fight.
0: So we'll talk about uh, Charles Oliveira in a bit more detail here. Um, unfortunately, his uh, runner's champion came to an end up against Markachev, which was UFC 280. But mm-hmm. here are some of the fighters he's beaten over the course of his career. Justin Gaethje. Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, Jim Miller, Claire Guida, and Jeremy Stephens. most submission wins in UFC history. 9 KOs, 21 submissions over his career, only 3 decisions. Can you make an argument Charles Oliveira's winning streak was one of the most entertaining in the sports history?
1: It is spectacular. It is... In terms of, like, if you like finishes, this is the guy. Um, God, I I, I pick. I, I, I hate saying this. I picked him to lose almost all those fights except the Michael Chandler fight. I picked him to beat Chandler, I think. I don't remember.
0: I think I picked Chandler um, for
1: that one. I, I think I picked Benny. No, not Benny. I think I picked Charles. I don't know. It was before I was a part of the team. Um, I just know that. I, because I think that was twenty twenty one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, because that was the whole scale fiasco. Was uh, against, was against uh, Gechi, which was last year. Okay, yeah, because I remember I was part of the team whenever that went down. Um, that's how I, you know, remember my fights. People have AD and BC. I have pre INC and post <laughs> <laughs> after INC. <laughs> um but uh yeah uh yeah i picked him to lose almost all those fights in that crazy run i thought dustin would beat him i thought gaethje would beat him uh i thought uh almost all i thought tony was gonna come back after taking that break post gaethje and beat him and now he he made me look stupid that entire run and i couldn't complain those fights were great those finishes were great uh, I love someone with that killer instinct. You know, that's something that gets tossed around a lot. Like, he's got that killer instinct. He smells blood in the water and he just takes it. Um, I love that. You know, I, I like my violence uh, to be violent. So, uh, yeah, it's like a little joke. I always say, like, I'm a sick guy. I love, I thought this bloody fight was awesome. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he's he's so entertaining, like you said. Like, just unbelievably entertaining
0: and this was a guy who for the longest time was we obviously knew that charles Oliveira was very good but for whatever reason especially when he was a featherweight he just couldn't put it together he had a reputation for wilting a lot yeah what was it that caused this sort of turnaround what what was that flicked switch that made him suddenly say hey i've just put it all together now what changed between sort of featherweight charles who was getting ground and pounded by Paul Felder and then becoming lightweight champion and the beloved fan favorite.
1: I think he started putting some muscle on and I think he was kind of sitting down on his punches and kicks a little bit more, which and obviously I think his Muay Thai got a lot better. Yes. Honestly, I think that's probably like just the, the most like comprehensive answer is his Muay Thai improved tremendously. He, I, I thought had an argument for being one of the better clinch fighters in MMA history for a little bit. Like he was very active in the clinch with knees and elbows and punches. Um, but when his striking improved so much, he was getting hit a lot less clean. Obviously he had a, I thought he had a durability issue at 145, where he was just getting kind of put out. At, whenever you're cutting weight like that, it's easier for you to get concussions, AKA get knocked out. Um, so going to 155, you know, he's going to be naturally just more durable. Um, and then with his defense improving, he's getting hit less, which means he's not getting put out with every shot. Obviously, Gechi is probably the hardest hitter in 55 history, 155 history, maybe. Um, and he hit him with like trucks, and that's why he went down. You know, a couple times, but he didn't get put out. Like, it seems like he's much more durable. Um, He's much more confident in his striking. I remember one, I watched – um, I, I covered it in the Retro Review this year, and it was him and Frankie Edgar. And in the, in the striking, he's kind of like just moving in, throwing, but he's – you can tell like there's a little bit of like nervousness behind mm. it. Now it's very smooth. It's very just relaxed. He's having fun in there, calm. Even like when he's ne- – he nearly got finished by Michael Chandler in the first round. And he came out the second round. It was just cool, calm, collected, and hit the best left hook I've ever seen. Like, just a perfect, picture-perfect left hook to end that fight. And I think that confidence in that in the, in the striking really helps elevate it. And Because, you know, we're not kickboxing. We're not Muay Thai. We're not Jiu-Jitsu. We're mixed martial arts. I think being good in one area of the game just helps smooth out everything else. And I think that's kind of what helps put it all together as the saying goes for him.
0: Because what you expect is, and this is why I think wrestling is, in my opinion, wrestling is the best base you can have in MMA over like boxing Absolutely. or kickboxing, that sort of thing. Because with wrestling, yes, you can take somebody down if you need to, but the threat of wrestling helps to create the striking exchange So much And Charles Oliveira is an example of that, in my opinion. Because... People are so worried about being taken down by the guy. It allows him to have success on the feet.
1: Absolutely. And he it's I don't want to go to the ground with this guy. I'm going to do everything I can not to. Uh, and then you get hit with that straight right he hit Gaethje with, who's got sent flying across the cage. You know,
0: and doing that to Justin Gaethje, who's always been known for his granite chin.
1: Yeah. Gaethje said he's the hardest hitter that's ever hit him. Like, he said that after the Michael Chandler fight. He goes, I've been hit by a lot of guys who hit really hard. He goes, Charles Oliveira makes all of them look like nothing. He goes, it felt like I was getting tased with every shot he hit me with. And I think, as someone who's been tased myself, that's, that's, uh, that's scary. I don't like that. I don't like hearing that.
0: <laughs> I am going to be very interested to see where this fight plays out. Because... Obviously, we know that both guys have great grappling backgrounds. Like, Benny's a hell of a good grappler in his own right. Does he, there, want to try and utilise that kind of grappling game against Charles, who, as we know, first opportunity he gets, he's going to try and get on top position and then try and submit yet. So, is Benny going to want to try and take that risk? Because the other thing that stands out for me when it comes to Benny is his success in recent years, since the Alex Hernandez fight it coincided with him becoming a lot more grappling heavy. I don't know if he was because he had worries about his chin and thought, I'm going to take that sort of weakness away by turning to the grappling. But he's been scoring a ton more takedowns before and after that fight. Is he going to want to try and take that chance against Charles?
1: I think he would. I think he's comfortable going to the ground. Like... Carlos Diego Fajeda came into the UFC with, like, a lot of praise in his grappling, and he was just totally willing to go to the ground with him, with no fear. Um, I don't think Benny has a fear of anyone's grappling, which makes me think, this fight could be really fun on the ground. Like, this feels like the unmovable object, unstoppable force kind of idea. Like, these guys, I think think the fight would be 90% grappling, with occasional striking into takedown attempts, or... Um, you know, or like using strikes to stop takedown defenses, which is one thing I will, I'll bring up later. Uh, but I, I, I don't think Benny or Charles is worried about either one's grappling, and that just sounds like the recipe for another Gamrot-esque fight.
0: Do you, do you think we should take into account people's prowess off their back? Because if this, if this does turn into a grappling match. There's going to be the question of, oh, is Charles Oliveira going to try and throw up for a, a triangle or an armbar if Benny takes him down and vice versa? Should we be thinking about people's abilities off their back? Because I was a little bit surprised that Oliveira think... was neutralized so early but easily by Markachev when he was taken down in the first round.
1: That was weird. I, never, I expected, because Charles is like, people say it's like, playing in lava when you're on the ground with him even if he's on his back and Makachev just neutralized him and submitted him kind of mind blowing Um, but that said I I think Benny will probably be on top for most of this fight and I think before I saw the Makachev fight I would be like oh like that's a terrifying idea Benny having to take him down Benny's going to have to strike with this guy and uh now I, I I think Ben I think Charles is super good off his back. I mean uh you know, he was able to get that sweep off on Poye. Granted, he was holding the gloves, you know. Um like rewatching that fight, I was like, oh, it's pretty clear Charles cheated a little bit here. But um that said, I I think I think I think Benny could do something similar to what Makachev did.
0: I, I'm going to pick Benny to win this one. And that's a. it's a bit of a bold take. I admit that because I'm talking about Charles Oliveira, a guy who, up until last year, was on this fantastic winning streak. But I think a lot of Oliveira's success came from... It was sort of like a momentum thing. Because he was having this success, mm. building two, two turned into three, into four, into five. The snowball started getting bigger. I did see a little of the... Insecurities about Charles Oliveira come into play when he was wasn't having success against Markachev. And I do wonder if he is going to be a little bit tentative up against Benny. And now Benny has the momentum because he's on the big winning streak. So I'm gonna take a chance and I'm gonna say Benny's gonna win this one by decision.
1: I think Benny's gonna win as well. I have one idea I wanna to toss out into the open though. Um this is a Southpaw versus or- this is a Southpaw versus Orthodox mm. matchup. And so in the Southpaw Orthodox matchup, the rear knee is perfectly placed like for both guys, like the left knee for Benny, the right knee for Charles is perfectly placed to intercept any takedown attempts based on like the the open guard matchup. I wonder Benny's knee or Charles's knees are really good. Hmm. I wonder if he's going to go in looking to time a knee on Benny, who has been put out in the past. Like, I I wonder if he's going to be like, I expect this guy to take me down and I'm going to just try and intercept everything. Benny or Charles has a great uppercut and a great knee. And with the open side matchup, the right upper, the rear uppercuts there and the rear knees there. That said, I'm still picking Benny to win. But I, I I, think that has to be in the back of our minds when this fight happens.
0: Like, if Charles was to win, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. But I really hope Benny wins. I, 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 I He deserves a title shot. It, it's just...
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of these sort of concerns when it comes to uh title shot matchmaking. I think Benny's been another example of that.
1: Mm-hmm. I've been I've been campaigning for it on the recaps, you know. Give me that job. <laughs> Get Maynard, Sean Shelby out of there. Bring in this guy. You
0: yeah. Know? My Viquel uh, Pennington title shot campaign that nobody paid any attention to that.
1: I'll 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 push for it, and then you're gonna wonder why is Priscilla Catuera fighting Alexa Grosso <laughs> for the fifth time this year. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, dude. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> so now we move on to the.
0: Horslim of UFC 289 or at least that's what it feels like if you listen to people online it's a women's bantamweight title match amanda nunez takes on irani aldana here uh, bookmaker starts for this one you can get nunez at minus 260 aldana plus 285 so a little bit closer than what i've expected going into this so you've been following the sport joe a little bit longer than myself but one of the big things that we have in common is when we first started watching was mighty mouse as flyweight champion now yeah like obviously you you might you watch sport a little bit longer than me but for anybody who's quite new to the sport maybe was there before mighty mouse came in we have to stress dana white did not like mighty mouse and one of the biggest issues was mighty mouse wasn't a pay-per-view draw uh the company would actually lose money having him main event and eventually got to the stage where they were putting him on free tv and were threatening to shut down the weight class because they didn't believe There was enough interest. Bearing this in mind, why did the UFC keep giving Nunes main event after main event despite pulling even worse numbers?
1: Is she the worst drawing champion ever?
0: If you go based off the stats that I've seen, yes. Um, I believe 100,000 for the Shevchenko rematch and it was 80,000 for Raquel Pennington and Felicia Spencer. no. Figures for the Peña
1: rematch. Because when I started watching, I remember them saying... When I started watching MMA, there wasn't a lightweight division, but there was lightweight fights, if that makes sense. There was no title. Um, and I remember thinking it was because lightweights didn't do good money. And I, I like what you said about the Mighty Mouse thing, because that is a very fair comparison. But we're still giving Nunes main events. And here's another comparison you can make. Call me crazy, which you will. Uh, Mighty Mouse at the time I thought was a goat contender. like, And he still is, of course. He's still like a top 2-3 contender for the greatest ever. I think Nunes is the greatest women's fighter ever. Which Reaching for the like termination of a button. But, I'm kidding. I'm i I'm expecting the Dr. Evil you know, just trap door to happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, But I, I think there's a lot of comparisons there and I also go, how come both of these people aren't draws? Nunes feels like the biggest slam dunk draw of all time to me for women's fights. She's a Muay Thai wrecking machine that can fight anywhere. You know, ignore the ducking jab, you know, wine mom boxing <laughs> weakness. But, like, she's knocked out women with everything ever. It feels like she she head kicked the Ronda Rousey head kicker, Holly Holm. She brawled with Cyborg and knocked her out. Um, her nose was a rose, but she beat Valentina twice. <laughs> um, like, she. Has like a cri- she choked out Misha Tate, you know, and you know, in that horrifying fight to watch. Um, I don't understand why they don't push her to the moon and back.
0: Like, I would argue that they have, I would argue that they they have made an so? effort. I think they've given her a, a pay per view main event, which is a lot more that could be said. Like, Shev never got a pay per view main event, Joanna never did, so I think but, they are yeah. making an effort. Sure. Yuanna well, did. No, uh, she had was some co mains and when I was thinking, she had some co mains and she headlined some TV cards, but she never had a pay-per-view main event. So I,
1: I do feel, I feel the like UFC, they just think that putting him on the card works.
0: Yeah, but I think it's though, weird. I think that one, I think that one of the big issues I feel like a lot of people do have with Nunez, I think that's maybe one of the problems that some people have. Like I don't think anybody dislikes mm-hmm. Nunez as a fighter or as a person i think they do maybe Mm -hmm. have a problem with the perception she's being pushed on the fans even if it's done with good intentions and i do want to stress that um i don't have an issue with this fight as a fight and obviously we'll talk about that in a lot more detail i do have an issue with it as a pay-per-view main event and i feel like the ufc going down this road despite there being a lot of fans saying we're not interested please don't do it it's a bit Roman Reigns for my like.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I remember you calling her that in the past or making that comparison, I should yeah. say, in the past. I um that's so weird to me. See, I as a Roman Reigns hater, and to, you know, I can understand why Roman Reigns never got over with fans until like he was a heel. I, I don't understand why Nunez isn't over with fans. Because, spoiler alert, this household I live in loves her. Like, I think she's entertaining. I think she's fun. Um, you know, uh, your best friend loves her. Um, my brother likes her a lot. He doesn't live with me, but, you know, he likes her a lot. Wiley Zhang's his favorite. He was telling me last night. But uh, I, I don't understand why she never got over with fans then. Because I... I I don't know. Maybe I'm bitter over the idea that, you know, Paige Van Zant was pushed really hard. Uh Connor is probably perpetually one win away from a title fight, even though he if he goes like fifteen straight losses, he's perpetually one win away from a title fight. Um I I don't, I don't understand like uh Do you think it's who know. she's Weird. beating? It's
0: to me. Because one comparison I'll make here is Uh, Back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, Henry Cooper was like this big, beloved British boxer. And he had a fight against a guy called Joe Bugner, and Bugner was another British fighter. Mm -hmm. And Bugner beat him. And and even though Joe Bugner went on to have a successful career, bought Muhammad Ali for the title. Never got over. Public hated him. The British public hated Joe Bugner because of what he did to Henry Cooper. I wonder if there's an element of that.
1: That has to be. Because she's beaten everyone's favorite female fighters ever, basically. At 135, of course. Like, back in that era, people used to like Holly Holm. She KO'd her. Cyborg, beloved fighter, KO'd. Uh, I'm going to skip over this one really quick. Rousey. And then Misha Tate. Like... I know you're a Rousey fan. I, I feel yeah. like I feel the finger on the if, button. Yeah, so I'm if, if Ronda to, retired but, in April
0: 2015. I don't care what people say.
1: I have, I have, a, I, rem, I will never forget uh, taking some casual friends of mine to see that fight out of Buffalo Wild Wings, and one of them, he, they were all big Ronda Rousey fans, and uh, one of them screamed in my face and was like this close, like really loud. She screamed in my face. And I just had to put on a smile on. And as soon as the fight ended, she goes, all right, I'm leaving. Can you pay for my drink? Yeah. See you later. And all I could do was smile. It was a, you know, good comeuppance. I blame them, by the way, for the it was karma getting them. But <laughs> she retired in April, of course.
0: Uh, August, um, August, after the bench fight. T-
1: oh, uh, yeah. Yeah actually it was obvious yeah we'll
0: try and Uh, we'll try and get this back onto uh uh, a tangent here because we are going off we do this a lot you know we go down these roads and try to do everything other than talk about the fight um so this was originally supposed to be the trilogy fight with juliana pena so the ufc made a big deal about it being the trilogy fight first ever one for the title Mm -hmm. all that sort of jazz pena i believe it was a rib injury has to pull out of the fight Irene Aldana was already in camp, so she was going to fight Raquel Pennington, which a lot mm. of people believe was going to be a title eliminator. Aldana gets pushed into That's this it. matchup, and it's taking place at 289. I believe Raquel Pennington is the backup for that fight. Now, you're going to expect this mm. from me, bearing in mind my fandom. Like, uh, most of the general consensus is the UFC have made the right call with Aldana um, getting this matchup. Do you think there is an argument that it should have gone to Raquel? Bearing in mind she's higher ranked, longer winning streak, and has a win over Aldana. But do you think the UFC have done the right thing?
1: I'm kind of torn, admittingly. Um, So I forgot that Pennington had a win over Aldana. And so whenever this fight was like, whenever the Nunes or the the Pena rumor was kind of going around, because it was like a rumor for a day or so before she officially pulled out. And I remember thinking, oh, just slot Aldana in, right? That's what they'll do. And uh, then whenever – I think you, you were talking about it and you brought up Pennington's win over her and I went, oh, that makes it a little hard. I The only reason I think Aldana deserves it slightly more in my mind. She's fresh. And it's like minuscule. Yeah, she's a fresh face whereas Pennington and Nunes have already fought.
0: Yeah. Do you think that Aldana's preparation for that fight could be something which may be an advantage? Because if you were to compare, like, obviously in terms of power, there's no comparison between Pennington and Nunez. But in terms of fighting style, sort of striking heavy wrestle boxes, whereas Nunez is going from a durable grappler to a lanky striker, do you think that's something that could play a part? Or do you think the extra three or four weeks it's going to sort of nullify that
1: i think i think it will play a part but i also imagine that nunez was never afraid of the takedown necessarily she was more like she she knew that she could just stuff him. Uh, she was more worried about the boxing you know maybe adjustments the dipping job of, uh, of Pena. yeah is that you know what what what's the what's the uh, the phrase? If you have a bug in the house or you have a hole in the wall, but you buy a new house instead of fixing the hole. And yeah, I, I think I it was I just who caught the so Yeah, shout out to him. Yeah, that's that's, that's such a funny one to be. Just, just turn southpaw. You don't have to learn to deal with the jab if you're southpaw. I'm like that's so funny. And I remember I, cracking up in that fight.
0: I know we I know we meme a lot on that fight and meme about, like, I'm seeing Julie be crowned like queen of the jab, that sort of thing. But it does make you think, though, yeah. is that something that maybe Aldana could find success with? Because if you had to Absolutely. ask who is the best jabber in that weight class, Aldana's possibly up there.
1: It's Aldana. I, in my notes, I specifically say, if Aldana makes weight... Just saying, uh, and I like Aldana, but she hasn't fought technically at 135 in a while. Uh, um, 2020. But, God, it's insane. You're getting a title fight in the division you haven't fought in, essentially, because of missing weight. It's yeah, crazy to me.
0: Because I think she, she I, missed I, weight against I, Yana, and the Macy fight was Macy. moved to a catch weight.
1: Yeah, because they both, I think they both were going to miss, they said. I can't remember. Um, totally not a fluke, right? The oh, she, planned that. That she planned that. She planned that. Crazy. That's that's a, such a crazy finish, like ever. But I I have it here saying she could definitely pull off. I think Aldana can pull off this upset because we have seen Nunes in the past struggle with basing basic boxing techniques. Yeah. I I, I think all jokes aside, though, you know. Aldana is probably the best boxer in that division. Um, but, and you know, I, like I said, I have Nunes as the women's goat. And I think like I've said in the past for, you know, a lot of the fights in this car, there are just much more avenues to victory Mm. for Nunes. And like Nunes can just take her down. Nunes can just abuse her with low kicks. Nunes can try and make it a brawl, which I don't know if that's a good idea necessarily. Um, but I think like where Aldana just has the boxing, essentially, whereas Nunez has a lot to go into. But I think this fight could be really close. I kind of hope it is. Yeah, I, I want it to think be a good fight. Funny. Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest. I, as much as I'm you know, saying I think Nunez is going to win, and I like Nunez a lot. I think it sounds interesting if Aldana wins and then we do like Aldana Pennington for the title. I think that sounds kind of fun. Maybe see, that's just I, like...
0: I'd love that because I think Rocky would have a good chance of winning.
1: See, I, I, it's funny. I kind of look at it like rock, paper, scissors. I think Aldana has the closest <laughs> chance of beating Nunes in the division. And I don't think Pennington beats Nunes. But I think Pennington beats Aldana for sure. I think it creates like a rock, paper, scissors kind of moment. So maybe this is working out for you in the end
0: personally like i think that i think nunez's weakness because if you look at her she's she's lost five times like a lot of people forget that when you talk about the plaudits of nunez people forget that she's been beaten before and beaten against in some cases by some questionable opposition but the type of Mm. fighter is nearly always the same it's durable grapplers she can't put away (laughs) early they come back and once, and this is another thing as well, like people meme on the Juliana fight, but one of the big things that stood out for me was when Pena started throwing back, Nunez was a little bit, oh, what's going on here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and load up and hit harder to try and stop this pushback. And once that stopped working, it was like, I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do. So there was, and that that's happened.
1: So... Yeah. I fight, I fight so weird, because like, We've seen her in the past trade with, like, nothing against, you know, Pina, much harder hitters. Yeah. And, like, Pina was, like you were saying, just making her, like, knocking the head back. I wonder if her nose broke in that fight or something. It's so odd.
0: Obviously, is not that kind of fighter. And Aldana's not a durable grappler. What she is, hmm. is Jemaine Durandamy. And Jermaine Durandamy yeah. was piecing Nunez up anytime they were on the feet. That's
1: a good comparison, actually. I always forget about the second fight. I always think of the first fight. I always forget they fought twice, technically.
0: And Nunez was obviously forced to grapple in that fight. And if Jermaine maybe had a bit more of a ground game, then we might have been talking about her as the champion. It does bring me on to another sort of X-factor, if you are looking to try and back all in this one. Aldana's coach is Diego Lopez. Now, Diego Lopez, for anybody who might not know, he fought in the UFC. He had that match against Movsar Evloyev and on like five mm. days notice gave an unbeaten fighter a ton of problems, especially when it came to scrambling and submissions. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Aldana trying to create some scrambles because she is going to get taken down in this fight. So I wouldn't mm. be surprised if Nunez is going for a takedown and even if, I'm not suggesting like Aldana's going to be trying to throw an arm bars off her back or anything like that. But if she can get Nunez working, we know that Nunez has had issues with cardio. And if she doesn't control the pace, that does cause issues with her in the past. Maybe Aldana just being a little bit of a scrambler, try and make things a little bit awkward on the feet. That might just cause her, uh, you know, might just create these openings to either get to the feet or take the back. Because Aldana does have subs. Mm -hmm.
1: Just submission wins like I think I actually did not know that her coach was Diego Lopez who was also the coach of Alexa Grasso Uh, (sighs) that is one thing I'll say is I feel like as much as I like Nunez I feel like a part of me wants wants Aldana to win because you know that's another Mexican fighter for me to brag about to my mom it it
0: would shake up the weight (laughs)
1: class as well yeah, and this division needs it 135 yeah. is non-existent 145 isn't a division 135 feels non-existent um like I, I was it's look- just so hard taken against nunes man it's
0: i was just- looking at i posted this on twitter a couple of days ago i posted mm-hmm. the women's bantamweight rankings in 2015 and compared it to now and if you go back to 2015 mm-hmm. every fighter in those rankings either fought either fights for or wins a title in a major promotion like in some mm-hmm. cases it's fighters in a lower weight class so like andrage is in there it's fighters who yeah. end up doing it in bellator like karmouche uh, but on the whole it just shows that the talent level of that weight class at that point was leaps ahead of what it is now and especially in terms of relevance and star power what do mm-hmm. you think caused the downturn Oh, is it something that was always going to happen post-Vander?
1: I think a lot of it was uh, the other divisions opening up, you know? I think 125, I think you can directly look at 125 getting better and and in 115 being always really good and look at maybe that's like it's taking away from some of the talent pool because at the time... 135 was the only division people really cared about for women, you know, because of the Ronda Rousey stuff. You know, one fifteen was pretty fresh and new around that time, around twenty fifteen, if I remember correctly. Um so I wonder if, you know, like obviously Andraj you brought up, you know, you brought mentioned she's kind of moved all these divisions down. Um, like, you know, <laughs> we, we I think for the last card we've joked we're like Andrage at 135 was crazy to think about
0: she's um, tiny if you go
1: back and watch the fight she had
0: abandoned where she's tiny in that weight class
1: i i think it was um was it i think it was jessamine duke she fought in that division uh, and it looks yeah it was like it just like what is going on here you know <laughs> it looked like me trying to fight a normal person uh-huh. <laughs> so short um but yeah i I feel like a lot of it is those other divisions opening up because you have like a Valentina who went to 125. Uh, there's a lot of fighters who I remember when 125 opened up, a lot of fighters left 135, and it just started cutting the weight because they were, you know, walking around at 135, while some women are cutting weight to make 135.
0: Jessica, um, Carmouche, Alexis Davis,
1: Mm-hmm. Misha Tate. I think she said she was. She like tried, she tried it everything. against
0: Murphy. Didn't work. I'm loving Murphy's another one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Like yeah, there's like a lot of fighters who fought at one thirty five that went to one twenty five, so I wonder if it's just the divisions opening up and a lot of it it just feels like it's the same old same old fighters in there. They don't feel like there's any new blood going to that division. Like the top four, so, uh,
0: I believe, is top four, five if you count GDR. They were all fighters yeah. who were ranked when Ronda was champion. So there hasn't been the sort of turnover that there once was. I have seen some people blame Nunez directly. And look, she's not the most media-friendly champion. But I think it's very Mm. harsh to put everything on her. what she is to me is Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is not to blame for pro wrestling being as bad as it was in the mid-'90s. But he was the face of it. And I think because of that, he gets a lot more of the brunt than he deserves.
1: Yeah, I... I think that's actually the perfect comparison. I was actually thinking earlier when you called this the new generation era. I was like, "Well, who is the Kevin Nash?" And you hit the nail on the head. Um, that means in about ten years, Nunez is going to go to PFL and make fun of their X division. That could happen. You know, I know you're on the juice. You know, <laughs> well, most of the are with the PFL. Let's be honest with all the drug test failures. Oh my God! Actually, yeah, she is gonna do that. I know you're <laughs> on the juice, like you know, Royce McHugh's over there. Um, but yeah, it, it I I feel bad, you know, because in my opinion, a fighter's job is to train, make weight, don't cheat, and uh, win your fight. Yeah, um, that's my, in my opinion. That's a fighter's job. The promoter's job is to do the promotion stuff. So I don't think it's her fault. Right. I'm,
0: in a, I'm in a similar boat to you. I think that Nunez is going to win this one for the same reasons you said. I think that, I'll, look, Aldana is a very good striker. And if there's a situation where Aldana catches her with that big left hook, puts her out like she did against Ketlin Vieira, that's a possibility. Like she, She's got a better chance of winning this fight than, say, Lauren Murphy against Chev. But yeah. I think Nunez is going to make it grappling heavy. And if you want my sort of sneaky bet... Nunez by sub. I think you can get some good money on that. Yeah,
1: I think so too. I think, I think if anyone's gonna beat her, that's it. Um, I'm picking Nunez. It's really uh, for me. But I think if anyone's gonna beat Nunez, it's Aldana. That's it. So if you're a betting person, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any shame in picking Aldana here. Um, I'm just picking Nunez because. You know,
0: One final point that we do need to bring up before we wrap things up. You mentioned before, Aldana has had issues making weight. Last time she Mm -hmm. made 135 was 2020. Are we going to be sitting here a week from now with Raquel Pennington stepping in, getting ready for that title fight?
1: I feel like if I'm the UFC, I check on her now. Like, hey, where are you at with your weight cut? Are you going to be able to do this? I feel like I would check on her today. Today's Saturday feel like i would check on Aldana, but that said they're not going until till like tuesday yeah um i could see rocky stepping in actually i could see and if that's the case I'm and, still a big, picking
0: and a big congratulations to uh, rocky pennington and tisha as well uh but for their beautiful oh, yeah. little baby
1: you you actually brought up uh, the comparison they're like it's going to happen, the, com- uh, the rematch.
0: <laughs> yes, because uh, Rocky Balboa gave, um, he had his uh, first child and then went out and beat Apollo Creed. So another Rocky doing the same thing in a rematch, you never know. Just trying to will yeah. it into existence.
1: <laughs> and that leads me to a great segue because I used Rocky as a, uh, as a you know, the, the opening piece and, you know, kind of theme of the next Retro Review.
0: Very good. Link up there, Joe. It's almost as if we heard this. So we do have a retro review, which is hopefully going to be out sometime soon. Uh, Joe, Mm -hmm. this one is a Patreon request. Um, Mm -hmm. So usually we like to do ones around a certain theme. So we did plan like a truckload of Canada cards, and we're going to put that to the public, but we got a Patreon request, which of course takes priority. So what can people be looking forward to sometime this month?
1: So shout out to Tony Ramirez for the Patreon request, of course. I really appreciate it. He's always in the comments, always a really cool dude. And uh, he suggested, or donated and picked UFC 125, which has that Grey Maynard-Frankie Edgar fight. Absolutely love that fight. That fight is better every time I watch it. And Mm. I, I say that as someone who prefers the third fight, but that second fight is like, it's like a movie, like showing it to people. It's so good. So that is sort of that is for everyone to look forward to. We've also got a
0: month's worth, hopefully, of videos that'll be coming out at this point. We've got like the rise of Mexican MMA, which is coming up. Uh, one of our worst referee videos, which always seem to do well. We're going to be focusing on Kim Winslow for this one, which um, I think it's going to be a real blast from the past for a lot of people.
1: Oh man, I have so many good Kim Winslow memories. I'm excited for that one. So that is all the
0: time that we have here for the UFC 289 preview show. We thought this one was going to last like just over an hour because we had like nothing to talk about, but we managed to get like nearly two hours out of this.
1: I I told you if I bring up Ian McCall and uh, (laughs) Demetrius Johnson, I I got us, just like,
0: you know. (laughs) Thank you very much everyone who has been joining us for all of this time. My name has been Carl Bainbridge, that's been Joe Neal, and we will be back in uh, what, four weeks' time to talk about International mm-hmm. Fight Week UFC 290. <laughs> Bye-bye for now.